Hello and welcome to season two of Social Work Journeys, a podcast brought to you by the Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research at Bryn Mawr College. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Mary Florence Sullivan and I am your host. Social Work Journeys was created to showcase our incredible community. We feature conversations with GSSWSR students, alums, faculty, and staff, where we talk about their journeys through social work and all the peaks and valleys they've traversed along the way. We hope our podcast gives you some insight into the many pathways a career in social work can present and will help answer some questions that might come up as we explore the world together. Today, we're joined by our newest faculty member at the GSSWSR, Dr. Lisa Young-Laurence. I'm so excited to have Dr. Lisa Young-Laurence here with me, one of our newest faculty members starting this year at the Graduate School. I'm just very excited to have you to talk about your work and talk about your experience in social work. So um, Dr. Lawrence, if you could just introduce yourself, talk about anything that feels relevant to personal or professional interests by way of introduction and what pronouns you use, and then we'll go from there. Thank you so much, Mary Florence, for creating this space. I'm delighted to be invited and involved. Um, my pr- pronouns are she, her, hers, and I, I identify as a practitioner scholar, which means I have uh, decades of practice experience and also scholarship, and I really believe that one builds on the other. And to introduce my work, uh, I describe it as focusing on meeting the needs of cisgender women with domestic and sexual violence survivorship histories who've come to the attention of the legal system for having used force in their relationships or allegedly using some sort of force in their relationships. Their circumstances are often misunderstood, however, because there's little recognition of how those survivorship histories have shaped their limited options. And for many of these women, inadvertently resulted in their legal systems contact. So that's a little overview in terms of what my practice and uh, my scholarship focuses on. Thank you so much. Just from getting to know you and working with you a little bit, I know that you have, you really do, as you said, embody this role of practitioner scholar, but also you are working on so many things at once right now, if you could yes. just share a little bit you're currently working on in this air, practice area and anything that feels important sure. about them. Sure. Uh, Practice-wise, I have, as you mentioned, a number of um, uh, national projects and also international projects. And then um, also scholarship-wise, I do as well. To highlight a few of the things I do nationally, for example, I provide uh, monthly guidance and support to practitioners across New Mexico doing this work, meaning uh, anti-violence intervention for women who are largely court-ordered to services in their state. So everything from supporting 
practitioners with um, self-care, community care, how they're intervening in the women's lives, what systems issues are, are relevant to their communities and their agencies. I'm also working with uh, the Battered Women's Justice Project and uh, advocate Melissa Skaya from uh, Global Rights for Women. We're creating a national resource center for uh, criminalized survivors. Excuse me. Uh, the, our language that we're using is uh, the, uh, systems involved women. And so, you know, the, the language is always an evolving issue here. But as that language, as we um, make those decisions around that, the, the focus of that research and uh, resource center will be really uh, helping practitioners, people across systems, attorneys, whomever it may be, involved in the lives of women who are on probation and also have child protection contact due to their actions or their alleged actions. And internationally, I also, uh, I've been working with practitioners across Victoria, Australia to create anti-violence intervention programming, and that is ongoing in three different locations, uh, two urban and one rural in Melbourne, Australia. And I provide monthly support for the practitioners that's ongoing and also involved in a research evaluation that just finished this last year uh, with University of Melbourne researchers. And then to, to circle back, which is both national and international, is that I, my work um, from my dissertation, I've built on that work uh, to, um, and, and I'm in the final stages of um, my book manuscript, that uh, the book will be out next uh, August 2024, published by University of California Press, focusing on the experiences of women who are involved in probation and child protection and often court ordered to anti-violence intervention for their actions or alleged actions. And that alleged piece is uh, critical because we know that oftentimes uh, cisgender women, which uh, my work focuses on, are uh, misidentified in the legal system for uh, having caused harm if they happen to be involved with coercively controlling partners. So that's that's a big piece of it as well. So exciting about your book. I can't believe it's coming out next summer. And I'm so curious about the, and we've talked about this before, but the alleged piece, because um, you talked about creating a national, a national kind of resource, national resources, a database of resources. Mm -hmm. For, for survivors and systems involved survivors, and I, I'm just curious. Like this occurred to me as we were talking, but about whether I'm trying to phrase this question well within the national sphere versus just a localized sphere. If it's harder to access resources in different parts of the country, or harder to create a database of resources depending where you are in the country, and having people respond to that alleged piece. Mm -hmm. Well, with the, the resource piece of that, that, that's been a big motivation for why we've been um, working towards this, because oftentimes people in smaller communities and in larger communities or really across the U.S. and obviously internationally reach out to me saying, 
you're never going to guess what's happened. And believe me, I can guess what's happened. Yeah, it's, it's the, we, I know from, um, for example, I created one of the first programs in the U.S. in uh, 2002. Uh, for Jersey Barrett Women's Services to to meet these comp- the complex needs of women who with survivorship histories who has, who had caused harm or allegedly caused harm in their relationships, the problem is though that it, the messaging there are issues with messaging in terms of what's happened and with where those resources are. There's there is a tremendous uh, growth and scholarship in this area, but defense attorneys often aren't aware of that. Advocates often aren't aware of that. And so our idea uh, with um, the work at Battered Women's Justice Project is to create a central repository. So you can go online, you can look up the issue and have access to whether it's a webinar or an article or um, an advocacy center to be able to guide you through that process. So uh, you don't feel lost and you're not recreating the wheel. Yeah, I can't. I mean, that's it's so incredibly valuable for anyone to have. But I think especially, as you said, in certain places where there are serious challenges in interacting mm-hmm. beyond the beyond the challenges that we all as social workers know about. Yes. That people who are systems involved face. So thank you for, for sharing a little bit more about that. Um, and yes. I know, as you said, you talked a little bit about your book, which is so exciting. And I know you mentioned a little bit about your dissertation research. Mm-hmm. You could just share a little bit more about about your research that you mm-hmm. have been doing, either anything that's kind of coming up right now or related to your dissertation or whatever feels most relevant, but just a little bit about sure. research. Sure. I will share about my dissertation, also postdoc research, which you know well about as you're on that project. Um, I'd, I'd like to introduce it, though, in terms of recognizing that, you know, as social workers, we are on the front lines of social change, whether it be in practice or policy or research. And I truly believe all of these things need to fit together in a way that really tools us to dynamically meet people where they are in their relationships and in their communities. So that's the place from which uh, I center my ideas around research and practice and policy. And when I went um, to pursue uh, my doctorate in 2015 at University of Michigan, remember I you know, had more than 15, 16, 17 years, whatever it was of uh, direct practice experience in this area of anti-violence intervention. And I was really curious to learn how, you know, there's a focus among practitioners about uh, curriculum, content, what's most important in terms of outcomes, evidence base, a lot of this terminology in uh, this particular field. I wanted to understand from the perspectives of women who had completed or had any kind of contact with such an anti-violence intervention program, what was meaningful to them. But I was still very much in the practitioner mindset of thinking, you know, what session was most meaningful? What content, what tool, what handout? You know, very concrete things that way to me. But uh, through my research, it was three years of really embodied, mixed qualitative research where I had all kinds of different interviews with women being more um, traditional 
Uh, many women I, I interviewed through what I refer to as semi-ethnographic interviews, meaning they invited me into their homes. I got to meet their families, spend time with them again and again. Other women invited me to court, to child protection, um, to uh, healthcare settings. So through all of that, I learned from their perspective of what was most meaningful to them. And although the, the initial part of the research was focused on with the anti-violence intervention setting, of course, when we're really listening to people and following their lead, it blossomed into a, a large project to understand from the earliest memories, their experiences with intimate and systems harms. And so uh, learning from them then what was most impactful if we circle around back around to that anti-violence intervention setting and remembering my mindset was what about that session? The women, of course, they had memories and some of them were currently in uh, the uh, such a program. But across the board, all 33 of these women throughout our contact, they remarked that the most impactful part, the part that left them with the deepest impression was their opportunity to connect with other women who were in similar circumstances, regardless of identities. And that is something that, of course, as a social worker, is near and dear to my heart, that it, it is that human connection that brings us to a place of healing and repair. Mm -hmm. And rather than using the language, you know, of calling themselves uh, survivors or victims, offenders, perpetrators, no, they referred to their, themselves and their experiences in terms of feeling or being broken and a tremendous amount of shame for breaking others. And so understanding and really hearing those feelings and learning from them then what's most impactful and the direction that we need to take this work. Yeah, absolutely. I th think there's a bunch of different pieces that you mentioned that would be really helpful for, that is really helpful for our current graduate students to learn about and to hear about because sometimes with folks who want to go into clinical practice or different areas of social work, there can sometimes be a disconnect between research and social work. And we've all talked about this in the doctoral program, but sometimes there are people who don't understand why research is so important for social work or who may not. Yes. And so I love what you were saying about um, not only that social work perspective that, that came through these interviews and came through these conversations uh, with with the women that you work with around how their most meaningful connections were with the other people in their groups, but also what you said at the beginning around social workers being at the front lines of social change and how mm -hmm. that's so closely. Yes. So thank you for bringing that in. Um, and on just the, the note of as somebody who's going to be supporting our social work students, <laughs> talk a little bit about why research is so important for social work. And you talked about it in the context of your own research, but maybe for mm -hmm. students who will not be doing research in the future, just why generally research is so important for social workers, uh, social work students to learn about. Absolutely. Research provides a critical lens into social conditions. It is a way for us to learn what's happening, what's working, what isn't working, what's missing, and what needs to change. And of course, there are all different kinds of research, you know, big data, 
um, or the other end of the spectrum is very much uh, my research, which would be very immersive uh, narrative and semi-ethnographic people and situations. So whether we're reading research or we are um, doing the research, understanding that it is a lens and questioning, challenging, and using it as a way to inform practice, but ideally practice should be informing the research. Mm-hmm. But there has to be this iterative process, this back and forth to where one is is serving the other. And I remember when, uh, you know, I had my MSW for let's see, you know, 17 years, 15 years, a number of years anyway, before I pursued doctoral work. And I was very, when I was in the MSW program, very focused on the practice piece of it. And I was, my focus was also macro and just really excited to get out to the field and affect that social change and really <laughs> felt privileged to have the credentials necessary to then you know, be invited into people's lives. But I'm saying this because at that point in time, uh, I appreciated research. I actually did uh, field research for a year in rural Bangladesh, and, but I very much was focused on the practice piece of it and the learning from people and the being involved in organizations. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about a social work degree is it changes and evolves and it can take us in many, many different settings. So I hope that all of us can just pause and reflect on the importance again, uh, when I you know, started answering this question about the importance of integrating the practice, the policy and the research, because they're all dynamically important to, to change, yeah. to promoting that change. And I, I love how you put that in the beginning. I feel like I should write that over my desk for working on my own dissertation, but research provides a critical lens for social conditions, just a really beautiful way of looking at research, but specifically social work, social work research. And yes. Research, I think. Yes. And, and as social workers, we get to take that research mm-hmm. and do something with it. It doesn't just sit there. It cannot be static. It is living, breathing. It is an entity to be challenging and working with and holding up and saying, see, these are the voices. This is what needs to happen. And that's what's been happening in that I did a year postdoc at University of Michigan, and then you joined that research yes. project as well after um, when I became a research associate with Bryn Mawr. And that research is understanding through the perspectives of women who've been harmed by their intimate partners, what needs to change, what's working, what isn't working with the system's response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much of, and we talked about this a lot in the doctoral program and I know we've talked about this, you and I, and others and that I know who are social work practitioner researchers, but so much of research for so long excluded the voices of people and the stories of, of people that the research yes. was intending or aiming to help or support. So as social yes. workers, we, are, we come from a very unique perspective that really challenges that and comes at research from a different way and a different lens and a different angle. So I think... Keeping that in mind, even if you're somebody who is not going to engage in research as it is, you know, traditionally seen or traditionally viewed, um, but as a social worker, always keeping in mind the importance of being involved in research and using it, like you said, is because it is yes. a, thing, a living thing, mm-hmm. um, an active thing, and something that we really 
need to continue challenging our, our world of work and continue challenging social work, mm-hmm. but also continue to challenge the social conditions and systems and broken systems that we work within and around. So really yes. like to put that. And I think I'd, I'd like to just change that lens a little bit or just, just twist it a little bit. Oftentimes the language of research can perhaps for some social workers feel off-putting or feel like something that they don't connect with. Another way to put it, and I, I do this a lot in the work that I do with uh, meeting with practitioners both nationally and internationally, as I mentioned before, whenever there's a question about how do we do this? How do we handle lateness, for example? Or how do we handle changing this particular policy around whatever it may be? Have we first asked the people in the room, the people most affected by this policy, how they feel about it and what they would like to see happen? That's what often gets it is missing. And that that is research. That is the, the through the, the lens of the people who are most affected by what we're doing. Are how where do they enter into this? Yeah. And so if we take the word research out and we put in the words, you know, are we asking the people in the room? If not, why not? If so, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. And how we as social workers are, I think, uniquely positioned, but also that we have this social justice responsibility to bring that. Absolutely. Uh, so on the on the note on the on the yeah on the note of research, um, I know you're not teaching research in the fall, but if I'm you not, no. <laughs> Um, some of the courses that you are teaching because you will be joining us this fall as I yes. or as our newest faculty member, which is so exciting for for us uh, to have you. But if you could just talk a little bit about yeah. what classes you're teaching, so if people who are listening to this who are current students, well, at this point, I think they'll know that they're in your class. But future future folks who might be who might be interested in coming to the school, like what classes are you teaching this year, and what are you excited sure. about? We are recording this, I should say before the school year has gotten underway. <laughs> okay. I will be teaching trauma-informed social work as well as Foundation One. And I'm looking very forward to that. And then in the spring, I'll be teaching Foundation Two and an elective on uh, grassroots and institutional responses to domestic violence. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm, I'm sure people will be thrilled about the elective. I know people will be thrilled about the elective. It sounds fascinating and it's a new elective, which is very exciting as well. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yes. So as we kind of wind down the conversation, we have a, a couple of questions left, but these are some of my Absolutely. favorites. Since we all, I think, as, as I've talked about on this podcast before, and as I've talked about with social work colleagues and other faculty members and friends, often many of us come to social work from a very in a very nonlinear way, either people who are career changers or had experiences that kind of drew this, drew them to the world. But we all have a very unique journey for how we got here. So if, if you could think back to your own journey and reflect on something you wished someone had shared with you, either before becoming to graduate school or before starting your social work journey, what would, what would that be? Or some, even if it's not very specific, just kind of generally, what would that be about? Mm -hmm. For me, I think, well, there, there are many 
different things. And also, I think it's important to embrace the journey and never live our lives in reverse. You know, be very, very grateful for the choices that we've made along the way because they made sense in that time and space. Mm-hmm. But as far as uh, something that that um, someone had shared with me is to really encourage me to embrace the journey in terms of, you know, in, in entering a master's program. And I know that there's there's a lot of energy in reminding uh, social workers at the master's level that uh, we must integrate the, the micro and macro social work, but also they're two different tracks often. And so I think recognizing that although you're choosing one track now, being open to what your practice is going to look like after the master's program and the different directions it may go. Like I, I mentioned, I was, um, I went to Washington University in St. Louis and I chose the macro track and uh, very much social change, social advocacy. And then it really wasn't long after I, I finished that my master's was in the field that I really, really wanted to understand more deeply the experiences of, of people in relationships where there was intimate harm. And it became very micro. And that is not something I anticipated. So be open to the process. Let it wash over you and keep moving with your heart and your instincts as you best feel that you can affect social change. Yeah, I love that. And I totally agree, especially in social work. We experience so many things differently Mm -hmm. in our journeys and our careers. And even if you just one role or one position, you just have so many different experiences. So continuing to be open to that, like you said, is, and letting, and letting those experiences wash over you is a really, I think, a very dynamic and vibrant way to approach your career. Also very important for continuing to evolve as a practitioner and staying open to the stories that people are presenting or are, are telling you about them, their Mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. It was actually at the end of a year's of worth of field work and research in Bangladesh. I was just about ready to leave the village. And I, my, my research was on how women's involvement in a non-governmental organization encouraged trust and networks. And one of the women told me, she said, you know, the best thing about being part of this organization is that my husband doesn't beat me anymore. And that took me on a decades-long journey to figure out, you know, what unfortunately unites many people is this uh, experience of intimate harm. And that's when I realized I really needed to do more work, micro work in that space. So it's been a very, each each experience that we have will build on the other, even at the time if it, it doesn't really seem like it, or it's difficult to make sense of it. Yeah, I think that, that also, another point that I hadn't really thought about before, but within social work, the the importance of reflection, I think, on your absolutely on yourself, and we talk about that a lot as as practitioners and what it means to constantly engage in self awareness and self reflection. But also, mm-hmm. like you said, it might not occur to you for a long time why some something is so meaningful or how it is something how it is so meaningful in so many ways. And I think yes, that process of self reflection and social work is is integral to the practice. So. Absolutely. 
So for our final question, which is always a little fun, what yes. is either a fun fact or something that people might not know about you that you want to share before <laughs> kick off the new school year here soon, even though, again, this will be probably released later in the fall. Yeah, to, t- to end our time together today. Yes, I love that question. I, I grew up in Western Colorado and uh, my maternal grandparents homesteaded, the very last homestead in the mountains there. My mother was born in a two-room cabin. And for um, to make a living, my grandfather broke wild horses. And so horsemanship was very much a part of my life and my sister's life and our, our family's lives, yes. And all of that to say that many people are often surprised when I say that I was a rodeo queen growing up. And so... <laughs> I love that. I'm to a rodeo, but I know Colorado have the biggest in the country or something like that. I don't know. There's well, actually, in Wyoming, Cheyenne Frontier Days is very, but there, there are lots of, it depends upon, you know, like there's all kinds of different rodeos, rodeo associations, but I was actually a, a rodeo princess at one point and then a rodeo queen. And I so, didn't know there was rodeo royalty, so I feel Oh, very- you know, there is. And it, it actually, though, it requires public speaking, their yeah. horsemanship. It's multiple yeah. days that uh, goes into that process. So oh, wow. that's oftentimes... Um, I win the game two truths and a lie because people think I'm lying when I say. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good. Um, that is such a good one. Wow, wow, that is. Thank you for I love. That. So, from rodeo queen to undergrad at Smith College, yes. I've, I've had a, a diverse route. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much uh, for being here and for sharing yes. the story with me and with everybody. And we can't wait to see you so soon. Well, thank you for creating this space, Mary Florence. I've been going back through and listening to the the podcasts, and they're from my where I am now, and just joining the community and thrilled and so privileged to be part of Bryn Mawr. It is really a beautiful introduction to be able to hear people's stories and about this community and that the community you've created in this space. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you. So meaningful. Yeah. And it's always a such a privilege and an honor to have people share their stories, either students or alums or faculty, or I know we're going to have some members of our board of advisors on this year. So oh, great. it's such a privilege to have people talk about their journeys and talk about really what got them into this work. So thank you so much and see you My soon. pleasure. Take Bye. care. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in and a huge thank you to Dr. Lisa Young-Laurence. You can find out more about Dr. Young-Laurence by checking out her bio linked in today's episode description. We are grateful to our supporters, Spring Point Partners, for providing the funding that has made this podcast possible. We are also so grateful to the GSSWSR community for supporting us throughout our first season. Have an idea for an episode? Email us at gsswsr at brinmar.edu. Thanks for tuning in and see you in the community.